0: Well, it's happened again. I don't know how this keeps happening to me. I think, I think I'm think i unduly blessed. I think that's what it comes down to. I, somehow in my life, I get to meet people who inspire me like over and over again. It's, like, a, it's like Groundhog Day. Every day I wake up and then I get to read a book like this and then I get to talk to the person who writes it and then I get to hear the backstory and then I get to share them with you. This is so wrong. Don't tell anybody, okay? Um, hi, it's Joseph with you again, and today our guest wrote a book that if you don't read, I'm going to be really sad. You're going to make me sad, and I know how important that is to all of you. That's like your whole thing, right? Uh, actually, you'll be really sad um, if you don't read this book. I know you don't care what I think, but I think you'll care what you think about this book because we are not victims of our genetics and our evolution. We are powerful beings that have the capacity to choose something different in the next breath, in the next second, in the next hour, the next day, in the next 20 years. Oh, how cool is that? And she has got it down. Rebecca Heise, who has one of the most strange, circuitous journeys into being an author of a book about instinct. She has all of the street cred on it. You are this scholar in biology. And now you're helping the rest of us figure out how to not get trapped by it. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you. I so appreciate that introduction,
1: Joseph. That was uh, that was fun. I hope I can live up to it.
0: Well, I don't think there's any worry about that. Let's talk about (laughs) what this book's all about. And it's really the culmination of an interesting career. Right. And it's not over. It's just the culmination to date. But let's talk about how does somebody with a Ph.D. in biology Get to writing books about why all of the rest of us can create you know achieve more uh every day
1: yeah i mean it's a great question i i don't know if you if you figure it out let me know uh no the the short answer is it was a it was a journey i mean i was a biologist by trade i was a professor i had taught at several schools and um i actually ended up helping to found a school based on impact-based learning. So really excited to get out there and and show young students, young minds, how to be entrepreneurs and not wait for permission for somebody to say, hey, you can go do this thing because you have this degree now. Um, And in the middle of all of that, one of my family members was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, she was like a sister to me. She was a a sister-in-law and had been in my life for 20 plus years at that point. And in that instant, in that moment, I started thinking about who I was, what I'd become and who I had wanted to be and started looking at the two differences and was like, huh, what what career path did I take that landed me where I am? And don't get me wrong. I love I love the path that I had taken at that point. I loved engaging with the students and, um, and biology. But what I realized was I'd made a lot of decisions out of fear and I'd let this instinct of Oh gosh, you have to survive. Oh gosh, this won't be enough. You have to keep keep doing this, keep doing this. Um, Drive all of my decisions. And in the next month, I sold my house, quit my job, and divorced my husband. I mean, it was not a path that I that I would recommend to anybody. But it was. You should take at
0: least three or four months to do that. Normally, under normal circumstances, but if you want to get (laughs) bam one month, all that and so how did wow that to me? Like let's let's go back for a second. Survival instinct says you have to do all these other things the other way. Right. And then now suddenly you cast it off. I mean, how did you survive?
1: Well, that's the biggest thing is our brains will trick us into saying you can't survive. Right. You can't survive because the world is a dangerous, scary place. And the reality is it's it's not right. Our brains aren't built for the world we're living in. Most of us have the luxury of having food in our bellies. Most of us have the luxury of having a house over our heads. Even when I didn't, when I was living in a hotel and I, and I rented an Airbnb for a bit, um, there was the basics. I, I could survive, I could survive. I wasn't living in the ancestral path or past where there were literal tigers around every corner. So we have this luxury when we step back and actually look at our lives. Yes, there are fears we have, but most of those fears aren't really in alignment with life and death situations their fears about being rejected or failing or looking bad. And those are scary for good reason because for our ancestors that usually actually spilt death, you get kicked out of the tribe, right? You're, you're dead. But for us, we actually have the ability to choose differently.
0: Well, you know, I started my career, I'm a clinical psychologist by background. And so I started my career doing stress management workshops. And I remember vividly talking about the saber tooth tiger and the real fear (laughs) and the fight or flight response, and increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, increased blood pressure pressure for your body, all that stuff. And then I started to talk about things like, you know, now the things we fear are like deadlines, which imply you'll be dead if you don't make the line. But in truth, seldom do people get shot immediately upon not completing a paper. Um, Yeah, you know, but but we have so much of that vestige hardwired into our brain. And that's what this thing is all about. It's like, first understand what's in there and how it came to be. And then now challenge yourself to not be a victim of the dysfunctional elements of it. And even better, can I just say one more cool thing about this yeah, please, it please. even It goes one more step beyond that. It says, leverage the things that are so incredible about those innate patterns. Leverage them in some ways that you might not typically apply them and I think about this, you know, when you get into your whole section about kind of the common enemy, um, you know, like leverage them in ways you wouldn't commonly think to apply them that actually creates good instead of harm. Uh, it was it's flipping brilliant. Sorry. <laughs>
1: well, thank, no, thank you. I, no, that's exactly. I'm not speaking
0: anymore for the rest of the time. It's all
1: you. <laughs> no, no, thanks. You're, you're bringing up such great points. I mean, our, our, our brains have these patterns built in, these neural circuits built in already. So why aren't we using our biology to work? for us rather than having it just fight us and against us. So that's the whole concept behind the common enemy, right? Is our brains are naturally wired to see the other. Anybody who might be dangerous or scary or look different, think different, act different from us because for our ancestral brain, which we're still stuck with, unfortunately, um, they were. You know, the, the people that looked different from us back in the stone age, weren't coming over to borrow a cup of sugar. were potentially going to steal all of our resources. And that was the actual life-threatening situation. Now today, of course, like we live in a global environment. We're constantly working with people who look different, think different, act different, sound different. And so how can we leverage that, that circuit that says, whoa, 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 be afraid of the other and say, wait, if we're going to be afraid of something, let's go ahead and give our brain something to be afraid of. Let's give it a common enemy that's outside of race, gender, age, political affiliation, you know, religious norms. Um, let's give it something like, oh, I don't know, the coronavirus, let's fear the coronavirus because what that does is it unites us around a singular common enemy that would be helpful to fight against.
0: Unless we alienate ourselves from other people who don't view the coronavirus the way we do, and then we just buy into kind of old- Back into the tribalism. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So let's, let you know, I I popped up uh, the banner survival instinct, but this Mm -hmm. is a pretty important organizing principle of your book. I I almost see it Mm -hmm. if you were talking Maslowian hierarchy. It's a fundamental principle that kind of is a driver of almost all human behavior, and, and it has huge importance from a biological perspective, but it seems to be over- applied beyond true physiological survival needs to all kinds of symbolic threats to not really survival we may think it's survival but it's more our self-esteem or other things so can you just kind of take us a little down your thought processes on how do we not get trapped into believing everything is life or death because then nothing is right
1: yeah that's exactly it and and yet your body will perceive life and death situations as you know overcaffeinated you you Drink a little too much coffee and you start to have the stress response, right? The, the greatest thing about your brain is that you can actually slow down and separate this and actually look at that fear and say, wait a second, I am having a stress response. Why am I having a stress response? Why am I feeling this fluttering of my heart, this sweat, this, is it actually a life and death situation or can I choose to respond different Differently. Because as you said so, so eloquently there, Joseph, is that like we don't control this. Like you, It's not your fault. If you're having a stress response, a fight, flight, freeze response, it's not your fault. In the moment, you cannot control that first internal response. However, you do have full control over your first external response. How do you respond to this? So once we're aware of it, we can separate out and we can say, huh, let me define this fear in the moment. Is this life and death? If it is, okay, great. My body is doing exactly what it needs to. If it's not, oh, it's a deadline. Great, you know what? This panic of me having this this rush of blood to my legs doesn't mean I'm going to be able to type any faster or get this, this deadline met. So now I have to decide to do something different. What is that? What is the thing that I need to do differently? And often that's expanding time it's telling our brains a different story, which is not, this is life and death. It's something completely different. So you popped on here. I know you have something you want to
0: ask. So no, 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 sure. I mean, yeah. I, I pop on sometimes just because I'm wanting to give you something to react to that I'm, <laughs> or, or let you know that I am positively <laughs> reacting to what you're saying. But, yes. but one of the one of the things I didn't like about your book, I'll be really candid, was oh, it good. reminded me of how much I did not learn in school. <laughs> it was like, well, was I just not paying attention? Did they teach this stuff? And I was you know, checked out that year. Um, but even in graduate school, you know, when we talk about the, the role of the hind brain or primitive brain functions, right? I mean, a lot of times it seems like when I read your book, that we were giving away all this fabulous frontal cortex that we as humans possess that allows us to kind of slow it down and say, wait, is that signal a danger, danger? Really uh, a danger alert? Or is it just a kind of a a warning sign that we need to evaluate? Kind of like on your car dashboard, you know, is that thing you better stop and pull over? Or is it something you can limp your way over to the mechanic? Um, And I I felt like, uh, how come I don't slow it down? And and there's several, first off, I didn't, here's another thing I didn't learn. I didn't learn this (laughs) phrase. And I took Latin for like years. So what (laughs) what was I in there for? Tell me about this, because this is something about it has to deal with that. Slow it down, speed it up sort of thing. Talk about it for a second.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. So the whole concept here is in order to actually speed it up, in order to go faster, in order to be more productive, we have to slow down. And what that means is actually instead of giving in and like bracing along with your stress response, because we don't do as well, we make more mistakes, we end up um, actually doing slower work, we're less productive, we can take a breath, get out of that space of of panic. This is where a lot of people say, yeah, but I have to multitask. If I don't multitask, I can't get things done. And I say, "Okay, wait, you think you can multitask? We all know that the brain, we've we've heard this information before, right? The brain can't multitask. And all of us yet think we're the exception because we're like, yeah, but watch me, right? (laughs) So if you are listening and you think you're one of those people, let me ask you to do this task right now with me, right? I want you to spell your name out loud and then count to 10. So mine would be R-E-B-E-C-C-A, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. No problem. Now we're going to multitask, all right? And that is spell your name and count to 10. So R1, E2, B3, e this is what we mean
0: when we and say you And you've practiced, so don't show it off. I've practiced
1: I've done this, right? And I still look foolish <laughs> trying to do it, right? Yeah. So when we say, whoa, 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 slow down. batch your tasks, right? Don't try and do everything at once because as one of my best friends says, if you want it really bad, you'll get it really
0: bad, <laughs>
1: right? So yeah. if you're like, race, 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 we got to go faster, we got to go faster. Whoa. Sometimes taking a breath, actually taking in new information Because that's what it allows your brain to expand and say, oh, when we're not in that panic state, when we're not in the stress zone that literally puts blinders on us and says, this is what we have to do, right? We can take in new information. And often that new information is helpful to solving the problem. It's why we solve problems so much. You've probably had this experience. You're running and trying to race and get this thing done. And then you go to sleep or you take a shower and like you take this break from the problem that you're trying to solve. And suddenly, oh, there's a solution but your brain can't get to it without slowing down first.
0: So uh, for those of you who who are all adults here, right, kids, you all can jump into the chat and you can share some of your thoughts. Is there anything that you think you do that you say, maybe from an evolutionary perspective, or maybe we as human beings over centuries have been Mm -hmm. hardwired to do it a certain way, but do Mm -hmm. I really have to? Like, is it a must that I do it that way still? I understand the primitive biology that's in there that's been important to us as species, but at some level, it doesn't work anymore. And I think about it sometimes in parenting roles, you know, um, and I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm kind of an old guy compared to you. So as an older person in my generation, we still had some affinity toward those traditional child rearing roles and yeah. you know i know in your book for example mm-hmm. you emphasize the importance of reading male authors on parenting and female authors on leadership right but um <laughs> for me i probably didn't think that was my place now i ended up writing a parenting book so maybe i'm not right about that but, but i think from a behavioral perspective i think i always when the sound was happening in the middle of the night right like the baby was crying i said evolutionarily she's been trained for generations to respond to that and i've been sleeping so i can go out and fight a you know saber-toothed tiger tomorrow (laughs) so i'm not going to get up even though i still do hear it right right um i was copping out i'm wondering if you guys out there if any of you feel like there are things that have been built into your your genetics that that you need to work against there may be So anyway, I throw that out to them. Well, your book has got so many of these, right? Like that's what you, the whole book is like saying it has a place, but you have a choice.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not your fault. It's built in for good reason. And, and you have a choice. Is this how you want to behave. So, boy, um, I wish I could tell you, look, I'm an expert and I have overcome all of these instincts perfectly. And that's just not the truth, right? When, when I look at my own associations, and by the way, biology doesn't stand alone, right? Biology informs culture and then culture reinforces the biology. So this idea of, well, females are, are made for reproduction and men can do leadership roles. And, and when we look at the statistics, things get really fascinating, right? Because you look at I'll give you one of my favorites because I happen to be a very tall woman. You can't tell that. But I I stand at about six foot. And when you look at the U.S. population as a whole, only 14.5 percent of men are over six foot. I think that's a little bit high, frankly, but that's okay. 14.5 percent. But when you look among Fortune 500 CEOs, that number goes to 58 percent. So one of two things, either we're still putting people into positions of power, well, for the wrong reasons, which I think may be the case, like because we value men for their strength and their size and their status, or tell people are just inherently better leaders, which I like to think, but I don't think is actually the case, right? So we're we're constantly fighting against these these norms. And um, when I look at my own implicit associations and sort of biological norms that are reemphasized by culture, I absolutely have a lot of a lot of biologically informed. Uh, immediate thoughts that I have to pause, take a moment and then change in, in my first action. Because when you say leader, my first response, unfortunately is typically not a woman and it's typically not a person of color and it's, and that's not okay. It's not okay. That's a choice that I get to well, consciously and, and
0: change. Brene Brown has done some great <laughs> research on that, right? Like she throws Amazing. out images and asks you kind of your associations with thugs and whatever it might be. And it's interesting. Yeah how our implicit associations are active in those places. And in your book, you're really, again, this is the stuff you're going to get in the book, people. Um, you're going to get <laughs> some, re- I don't know, I feel like I'm hawking the book. Do I get a commission? Because the way I'm behaving is causing me a little worse. Yeah. Well, I get nothing we'll talk from about this. About the show I, care, I get on nothing the from too. this. I just get, <laughs> maybe someday I'll get to hang out with a tall person and become a leader. I don't know. But but until then, um, the book has got like resources on how to take an implicit association test so that you can find yeah. out kind of where your biases may lie. And unless you know where they are, you can't even begin to work around them. i mean, like, if you're, if you got blind spots, you got blind spot people. And so this is kind of a way to help you not have them. But uh, let me, let me, uh, let me kind of move us past implicit associations for a second. I yeah. think this gets into, you know, that same biological trap. Oh, I better go to comments. I'm being so bad. I asked for people to participate. And oh, then, right. uh, yeah. So this and is just a comment. Is, unfortunately, is- or <laughs> unfortunately, Zoom doesn't reveal your height in <laughs> online meetings. Yeah, that yeah. really could be a disadvantage if you're super tall. Your people won't know what a great leader you are. Um, thank you, Bosca, for that. Bosca always,
1: always kind of do this
0: and try. Bosca, and yeah. I mean, it's great how people engage because I, I know Bosca's story and Bosca is a person who is completely committed to kind of changing some of this biases that people hold toward one another so blessings to her but let me let me talk about gender language because i think in the book you're kind to do this personal disclosure around eating disorders and body image and body shaming and i'm probably over reading into this but i think there's some stuff here that that you're really kind to talk about and as some of that's just baggage from the way we have been conditioned to think about men and women right
1: absolutely absolutely i mean we so you know kind of gave away a little bit of my story there, which is great. But yeah, I, I suffered from um, for years with an eating disorder because I looked around me and I was like, okay, how am I not going to be rejected as a woman? What do I need to be? What role do I need to play? And the first thing that I realized was instinctively, well, women are valued for their youth and their beauty. And this gets reinforced again with culture. So I use the reference and I don't mean to pick on Disney so much, but we all grew up on Disney movies, right? So when you look at Disney, what do you realize that you have to be? As a woman, well, we have to be young because all of the villains are older women. They're, they're the Ursulas, they're the step-moms, they're they're these old women who have power, which biologically would not make sense, right? Because all of our power as women is when we're young because we have reproductive value still. So they must be witches, they must be evil, they must have come about in some awful way. Now guys, I'm not trying to leave you out of the conversation. You're not even in the Disney movie unless you're a prince, right, because we value you for your status and your size. And unfortunately, these biological norms really impact women and, and men in how they think they have to show up in the world, and it creates a lot of um, a lot of really troubling situations, especially in the workplace when it comes to sexual harassment um, and the way the way men perceive uh, women's interactions with them, and the way women are conditioned to respond to them.
0: Wow. Okay, I wasn't ready to get back on screen because I was oh, just sorry. paying attention. Yeah. No, I was just <laughs> paying attention. I was like, oh, now I got to do something. All right. So. Um, All right. So I think that that is, that's a pretty powerful example of how maybe our society has evolved to a point different than what we have been conditioned to believe. But the tension between where we're going and where we've been is what creates some of these intergenerational difficulties of getting, getting to know each other.
1: I'll push on that a little bit because I think a lot of times people will say, yeah, well, look how far we've come. And often, you know, when I, when I, dig a little deeper. I'm like, yeah, we've got Wonder Woman now, right? We've moved on from Cinderella. We've got Wonder Woman. But I also say, yeah, last time I went to war, I did not remove my clothing or take down my hair first. You know, like we're still telling the same story. And I'm not trying to to disempower anybody that's that's doing the work. But Wonder Woman is powerful still because she's young and beautiful. Right. Until I see the the five foot two stay-at-home dad, um, who's married to the 65-year-old kind of frumpy Wonder Woman, that's when I know we've made it, right? That's how I know uh, I, got I get these. it. I mean,
0: yeah. I'm gonna defend my turf. I'm gonna defend my turf yeah, even as do. a short as a shorter male. Um <laughs> I, I I think only in that, you know, I saw a kid's movie with a grandkid not long ago, and I'm sorry, I don't remember, but the, the protagonist was a, an Asian American young woman. It's still a young woman, um, but yeah. the fact that I have an Asian protagonist in a Disney-esque started, movie was like, wow, I, I was kind of, I was excited in a, in a yeah. way. And, and again, you're right. There's We've got so much more room to go and and the beauty about what you do is not only in the book, but a lot of your other resources on your website. And we'll get to that here in a bit. Is that it's a constant dialogue; it's a constant evolution. If we're going to work against, if we're going to work against these kind of forces, these rooted forces, we've got to have pretty consistent reinforcements that challenge us to grow out of it. So it's not like That's a read it. it and you're done, right? And so, <laughs> um, so we as a society have a lot of room to go. No, I mean Absolutely. one of the reasons. And it's- <laughs> No, say,
1: And it's not your fault. Like, that's the biggest thing. I'm not trying to hear like digging at people saying it's your fault. You're No, no, no. it's the brains we we inherited. So now that we know we can do better. Right, I work sorry. with a
0: lot of diversity inclusion folks, you know, um, and what I think the good ones really start with, it's not your fault. Like you right. came about this honestly. The question right. is, what are you going to do honestly today? Right. Are you going to yeah. be better? Are you going to show up better? Go to a higher self? Or are you going to play to your more primitive ancestral uh, lesser selves. And I think that's, know yeah, we should, we should, we should stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, right? Not, not exactly. crawl alongside of them. Uh, the abundance paradox is something I love in the book. And I, I think I am so blessed with so much. So why do I want more? And why, <laughs> why is there fear when you have so much that you're scared that like scarcity is going to suddenly beset you? I mean, this is craziness. Tell me, please help me. Help me, Doc. Yeah. I need an intervention. It is craziness.
1: It is craziness. And and the, the sad thing is that our brains aren't wired to keep us happy. They they're not. They're actually wired to keep us alive. And so happiness comes, it's not even in play. Um, so what happens when we surround ourselves with lots of things is we go, oh yes, I need that and I need that, and then we start looking at our neighbors, and I'm like, oh, but the neighbor has that, so I've got to have this, 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 this. And now we're buying all the toilet paper, and ah, right. And yet. We have plenty, and unfortunately, our brain is wired. One of our instincts is for variety. So we're constantly seeing, oh, well, what's over there? What's what's the greener grass on the other side of that fence? And where it can really get us into trouble um, is in business and in life, uh, in our relationships. So people who are sort of swiping right, if you will. Uh, what else is out there? What else is out there? Um, and in their jobs, like, well, I'm happy and I have what I need, but what else could I get? And this tendency to kind of maximize, to seek more variety um, ends up hurting us in the long run. So we end up having lower salaries, having less satisfied, less satisfaction in our own relationships, and um, and Think frankly, an unhealthy pattern of chasing rather than going. Wait, I have everything I need, and um, and in fact, me wanting more because my brain craves more is actually making me unhappy.
0: So when I was younger, people, I don't know somebody told me, you know, if you really want to be happy, you want what you have. You actually take it to another level. You <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. you talking about lusting after what you have. Like okay, that after. was a little that was a little creepy weird. <laughs> but what the heck are you talking about? Boy, oh, you're just
1: going to leave me on that? Um,
0: Yeah, the question was, what are you talking about? You're the one who wrote it. I'm not going to feel guilty about asking this question. You wrote lust after what you have or some variation, but the word lust and have are in the same sentence. So there. that's fair. Let's talk about it. Defend it. Defend it. Yeah,
1: I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So again, when you look at what you have and you realize, oh my gosh, Going all in to the thing that you already have instead of focusing externally and looking at all the things you don't have, which look, no matter how much you have, there's always going to be somebody with a better job, a better spouse, a better this, or looks prettier on the outside. But when you actually get inside into the nitty gritty of the relationship or the the way that person looks or the way that person feels, the reality is much different. So when we can lust after the things that we already have, take a look at your relationship, write down the the best things about it. Go all in. So, for example, um, well, here's my commission, my commission, my commitment to everybody on this right now. I am madly in love with my partner. I am. I absolutely adore him. So everybody can hold me accountable to this. I am going all in on this relationship, which means today I am committing to sending a wake up text every single morning to him, telling him something wonderful that I love about him. So imagine if you lusted after the thing that you already have. I have this relationship. It's not going anywhere, but I lust after it. I love it so much. I'm going to pour more into it. How does that change the relationship? Well, it makes it even better right it continues to grow it so same thing with our careers what if you show up and you go you come 10 minutes early cuz you decide you know what i love my work i love it i'm going to i'm going to pour into it i'm going to go all in you start showing up 10 minutes early you start making little changes that build on on those little changes that you made and suddenly you actually are even more in love you're even you're pushing even harder on that on that abundance that you already have, and so
0: the, this is the part that I didn't do a very good job of articulating about the book. I mean, that's <laughs> that's an example of how do you take a tendency to be into a abundance paradox, or how do you take the the pursuit of novelty and turn it against itself, so that you end up in a better place than you would be if you allowed the biological pursuit of novelty to move forward. right? Like this can have a very dysfunctional role in your life. So that, but there's so many of them. I mean, I ended up spending a day using my non-dominant hand, thanks to you. I mean like I'm drinking coffee, I'm spilling coffee all over (laughs) myself, thanks to you. Um, But so there's a reason that she would suggest that. She yeah. being, being Rebecca, like she's not here. Um, <laughs> Rebecca would recommend that she I recommends would. you use your non-dominant hand for a day to brush your teeth because there's something powerful in the breaking of the neural pathways and the discovery exploration in tasks like that that gave you greater appreciation for your dominant hand. It, it gives you. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that come out of this book. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk you through it, but I'm gonna tell you that. As practical as that example of texting your partner every morning with something that shows how much you lust after what you have, that level of practicality exists inside the pages of the book. All right, and, and you also put it slightly differently. Without the word lust involved, so that this can be rated for all audiences, good enough is great, right? Like, that's another way to put this. And sometimes, great, we don't have to keep going and going and going for more and more and more. Sometimes, it's just saying, Wow having good enough is really great for all those people who don't have good enough. So you want to take that a little bit farther and then we can get to five guys as our corporate example of yeah, good enough Yeah.
1: I think the the whole concept that I was talking about before, the, the chasing, the, the seeking more, 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 that's, that's our, our instinct for maximizing, for cheap, for chasing that variety. And when we seek maximizing, we actually don't pinpoint what it is that we actually want. So when we create a very clear vision for and it's not saying compromise. I am not compromising my relationship or my career. I have very clearly outlined all of the things that I'm looking for. And when tick, 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 I tick them off, I go, Oh, this good enough is great. This is exactly what I want and what I need. Now I can stop looking and I can go full in and invest there.
0: All right. Just all yeah. yeah. I love that. All right. So Thanks. five guys, uh, five guys. So this I have a friend of mine who's a business school professor and he says, you know, once upon a time there was a brand that made great hamburgers and great French fries and a great milkshake uh, Mm -hmm. and they dominated the market. And then over time, they thought, Hey, people aren't going to always want this. So let's start adding these levels of complexity to (laughs) the menu. And then they fade and then another brand just does that for a while. (laughs) And it seems like almost every brand falls into the pitfall of we're not going to stay with the one that brought us. We're going to keep looking for new and cool variations that sometimes add so much complexity, we can't even operationally execute it. But nonetheless. So talk to me a little bit about because five guys, you tell the story. I didn't know the backstory of the company. I've always just thought that when is five guys going to start opening up a sushi lane in their restaurant? <laughs> right. if, my, if my friend is correct, they're bound to do it any day now.
1: Yeah. And I hope they don't, because as you just described, this is the path that so many businesses go down is, hey, we do these three things great. And they do that for a while and they make a ton of money and they open up other franchises and they open up other other offices. And then they say, hey, if we're so good at these three things, let's add six more things. And the more we add to, the more we add this variety, the more our focus goes in 16 different directions and we end up draining ourselves. So Five Guys is a great example of how variety and overcoming our instinct for variety can actually benefit not only us but our customers. So um so five guys does what? Fries, burgers, shakes. They have a ground rule, nothing frozen, right? Nothing that nothing shipped. We're not, they had so many, like the Pentagon said, hey, we really want to order this every single week. Huge order, huge order. And they're like, nope, breaks one of our rules. One of our ground rules, one of our founding rules, the boxes that we chit, that we ticked, we're not going to do it. All right, so, so let me let me let me put yeah.
0: you on the spot here because I mean it's one thing to say okay let's not keep aspiring for more and more and more let's less mm. after what we have all that right. stuff and then then you do something that's kind of like a flip side of that and then I go is this a contradiction so Ooh, um, I'll same. let you I'll let you pose it so then you start talking about the beginner's mind which is like this kind of insatiable interest in more knowledge right like yeah. so how come more things are bad but more knowledge is good I just
1: it's a, that's a great, that's a great, I love, nobody's asked me that question before. And I don't think it's, um, it's an either or there can be too much knowledge, right? Cause we get overwhelmed all the time with it's my chapter seven of information gathering. We're just going to gather all the information about all the things, but beginner's mind is something different. Beginner's mind is the willingness to be the non-expert. So I'm five guys. I do these three things. Great. I know how to do these three things. Great. I don't need any more information because I already know how to do them. Uh-uh. that's where we get in trouble, right? Where we're doing something really well, we become experts in an area. And then we say, got it, I don't need any more information. Well, the problem with that is the world changes like that. right? The world is continually evolving and, and people's preferences are changing and the, the information that's available is changing. And so if we stop learning, if we stop this trajectory for, for growing and opening ourselves up to, to new information where we can be the non-expert, where we can show up as a leader with a really big title and a big position and ask dumb questions. If we're not doing that, we've put ourselves in a deficit. We've actually created a problem for us. So I'd say, you know, tick the boxes, figure out what you're doing very, very clearly and very well and then remain open to any possible solution to those to those problems.
0: But you are an expert. I mean, the National Science Foundation says your research is transformative. Be oh, done, man. girl. Don't keep pursuing <laughs> it. You are the expert, right? Why are Look, you doing I, all this stuff in an area that you're even, you know, your research no. is not, by your original research was not about how to adopt a beginner's mind.
1: No, it was about crows. <laughs> <laughs> my original research was about crows, right? Well, so I guess there's good. a
0: story there, isn't there? So go ahead.
1: Crow <laughs> yeah, a little sure. a bit I mean,
0: about your crow story.
1: Well, uh, I spent the first decade of my of my research working on birds. So my, my master's degree is based in ornithology. Uh, that's bird nerd uh, for the rest of us that aren't in that world. Um, so I studied birds. And what I noticed was that they... Display patterns of behaviors that are really similar to humans. And I was able to apply a lot of this biology, right? I'm a super non expert. And now I'm talking to business leaders. I don't have a business background. I have a crow background. I I don't have an MBA. I have a master's degree and a PhD in biology where I was handling birds every day. So the ability to translate into, say, oh, look, as a non expert, I may have really interesting insights that all of these experts that have studied the same course may not have insights too. I think that's a powerful oh, I, way to it. I to love
0: approach. that. I love that. that and yeah. that beginner's mind causes you not to assume that you figured the path out. So it kind of ties right back into it. All right. Like, let me, let me, I got so many other things to talk about. I don't have enough time. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess people should just have to <laughs> read the book or something or connect uh, with you in other ways. I don't know what they're Yeah, please do. They but let's to. go to this one. This is my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, part of the book. Uh, look, I, um, I have FOMO, though not as much as some other people. I know people who can't, I put my phone in another room at night. I do not sleep with my phone nearby. But I know there's studies on it that show people literally when they wake up, check their phone, like an un- yep. inordinately large number of people when otherwise the body should be restoring itself for the next day is, uh, you know, they're they're disrupted with the possibility that they missed out something when everybody else was sick. Um, so the fear of missing out is big. But you have replaced that and challenged people to think about, the Jomo. I know what it stands for, but I'll let you. I would not want to steal all your thunder here, so go for it. Talk about okay, Jomo. Fine. Talk about talk about uh, death days, which is again, as a beginner's mind, you you capture that from somebody else's thinking and have pulled it mm-hmm. into your universe. So talk a little bit about Jomo and uh, death days.
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about my experience, and and I'd love to to claim that these are both mine. I need to attribute these, neither of these, it's in the book. Um, Neither of these are original ideas. JOMO, the joy of missing out, um, is is the exact opposite of FOMO. It's what we can replace FOMO with. When we become curious, um, you can't hold curiosity and fear in the same space. So if we're having this fear of this anxiety of, oh my gosh, look at all the other things that other people are doing, we say, wait a second, wait a second what am I joyful about right now that I'm missing out on, right? Because I've chosen to be here. Like right now I have Jomo that I am missing out on some of the other work that I need to do because I am truly enjoying this conversation with you. So I don't want to be doing anything else but what I'm doing right here at right now. And it helps us refocus ourselves to the present moment because so frequently we stay so busy being busy that our lives plan ourselves for us while we're busy.
0: Well and, and we I put it another way you. and I put it another way and I think it ties into the death aid really nicely mm-hmm. in that that it's sometimes what we really are concerned about missing out on really concerned about missing out and not on kind of that that pseudo sense of all the things that I you know that are out there that that might be important but the things that really are important that we're missing out on. like I have fear of missing out on really quality time fishing with my grandkids but what does that yeah. really mean that means I don't I'm not afraid of missing something about the Kardashians, uh, that you know, the news stream. But I am afraid that I need if I don't engage the things that really matter most, that my life will have been wild away reading feeds about the Kardashians.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. No. And that's, that's the, the classic research of, you know, nobody lays on their deathbed and, and has, you know, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't done this. They always have regrets about what they didn't do, and so very carefully parsing out your time and recognizing, wait a second, let's talk about death days for a second, right? If if I was to tell you you're going to die in a month, okay, what are all the things that you would do? We have this, we have bucket lists, right? We were like, oh, I'm going to do this, that, that, that. The reality is when you get that diagnosis, if you are one of the lucky ones to actually know in advance that your your days are numbered, uh, typically, you don't have the energy, you're too sick, you can't hang out with your family the way you wanted to, and so why would we wait for those those moments? Why not take death days while we're healthy enough to do so, while we're saying, okay, all the things that I would do, you know, let me start doing them now. Let me ensure that I am creating that quality time, that I'm having JOMO of missing my work obligations because I am fishing with my grandkids.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah okay, so, We are coming to the end of this incredible short but important part of of our time together. So tell me about how people get to hang out with you, because you've got apps, you've got podcasts, you've got this great website. I mean, it seems to me that there are many, many access points. The book is a a great entry point, I think, into it. But beyond that, there's a relational opportunity to get to know you, get to bring you into their organizations, whatever it might be. So um, just spiel for a few minutes on. How do people get the benefit of this after this hour is over?
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for that, Joseph. I think that the easiest way is just to reach out to me and tell me what you're looking for. Um, you know, I have plenty of opportunity. I have courses on, on women's leadership, which is an interesting topic. Women's leadership as opposed to just leadership. Anyway, whole other whole nother chapter. Um, reach out to me. The, my website's right there. Um, my email address is Rebecca at Rebecca dot com. Um, I am on all of the socials. So whatever you're comfortable with reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation about what you're looking for. We've got video chapter summaries if you're not a reader or an audio book listener. Um, I've got courses. I've got apps to increase your self-awareness. And um, would love to have the conversation with you and see see what I can do to help you.
0: All right. It's time for the final wrap-up. Are you ready? I've warned you about this. Not so everyone excited gets the warning, this. but you know, I know you're not very adaptive, so I had to prep. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Trying Are we ready? Survival. So here's some yeah. just like 15 20 second answers. Don't overthink this. Just give on me it. bam. All right. We ready? Failed yeah. hotel sanitation. Failed hotel sanitation. Uh bed bugs. Okay. Um why? I mean, have you have you experienced them? Yeah, I, I, I on your that. feed. Because your feed has all these like pe- things that you find in oh, hotel that's rooms.
1: Right. Oh, that's true. I I occasionally so I stay in a lot of hotels and I'll open up drawers and there'll be lingerie in them or like kids toys and i'm going this is supposed to be sanitized for my protection oh i love that you brought that up okay I i'm sorry i was like
0: oh. well i not know anything about bed bugs. i thought i knew where that answer was gonna go yeah, and when you're no, the bed bugs it's no. like starting to scratch a little bit over here oh all my right gosh. let's you go know, all right yeah all right so we we'll keep going here uh, dog sledding
1: alaska with my husband amazing experience um he's a veterinary surgeon and he got to work on a on a dog that's on the iditarod team who's just raced, so uh, it was incredible. Got to musha, uh, and I did a ride team through Alaska. Just wild.
0: Boston yeah. Red Sox.
1: The best. The bomb. The team. The only one anybody should be cheering Well, that's for. all the time yes. we had on the show yeah, today, folks. I knew. No. All right, let's go. Yesterday. Let's go.
0: Let's go to uh, – well, let's put these two together because it's so, so much a part of your TED Talk. Kale and Ben and Jerry's.
1: <laughs> what I want to eat, what I should eat. Got I it. mean,
0: yeah. Okay. Kite flying. Up. Kite flying.
1: Um, I just started taking kite surfing lessons. And the first big section of this is to learn how to fly the kite, which literally takes you off the ground. It's it's a ton of fun.
0: So here's I think this is just living. I mean, I don't think we are biologically programmed to <laughs> kite surf. I don't think ever were we supposed to leave the ground like no, that, but somehow no. or another it's it's fueled your joy. Step right, into I the air. Uh, this is the final question, and we're out of here. Dermot. Jevons is it Dermot Jevons?
1: Mm, love of my
0: life. All right. Anything else you want to say about that, or you gets like love of my life? He gets four words.
1: I think you know if you want to if you want to learn more, you can hear the whole very romantic story in the book. All right,
0: it's in there. I'll leave it. Uh, what a what. A, <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's she says, plug, right? here's what that's she says. Plug. She says, don't seek variety, you know, and then she tries to lure you with, there's more variety in the book than we've already, there's more to it than meets the eye. Please read this book. I, I, I don't say that every week. I really don't. I often, you know, anybody who comes on the show, I want them to have an opportunity to share what makes them great and wise and all, but uh, I don't endorse books with great frequency because I know there's so much out there to read and I hate to try to encourage people to do stuff, but when it's something as remarkable as this, I, I make a, a zig where i normally zag hey thank you so much for being here and get get a hold of her you've got the website address right there so i won't belabor any of that any further i will tell you what's coming up in the weeks to come my schedule's gotten so busy It was just uh, in missouri yesterday and going to kansas city soon next week i mean it's just crazy that the places that my wonderful life gets to go and um so that that does affect some of my schedule in the weeks to come i think i have this date wrong I think all these dates may have shifted. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, so no, next week I miss. And then we come back with uh, Sarah Mm -hmm. Michelle for uh, Velvet Chainsaw. I gotta love that name for a company. Talk about a powerful, tall female leader. Uh, Sarah's a good friend of mine and I can vouch for her being six foot as well. Dr. Byron Ernest, who's gonna talk about the hand in the back of the room, those kids who frequently don't raise their hands and are sitting in the back of the room and kind of how we all can lead people to lead from the front, the middle, and the back. And then Warwick Barrow at Facts, who has a great podcast called The Crucible, uh, really a brilliant leadership mind, is gonna join us uh, on the third of next month. So uh, thank you all for being a part of it. If you wanna do me the biggest honor and favor, if you found value in this at all, please share it with somebody. And I'll tell you what, I'll sweeten the deal. If you let me know that you did, and you send that to me with just a you know just any message. You can send it to me, email, or just highlight that you did forward the show to someone. Then I'll send a copy to my book. I'll probably put it in a lottery, because we tend to get a lot of this. So uh, I'll select from those who do forward it. Um, and then I'll make sure that you get a copy of the latest book, Stronger Through Adversity. That's all we have time for, our kids. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me the greatest gift of all, your time. Take care.